Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. <laughs> what's uh what's the point of opening the uh garage door for that t- for that exercise? Oh, the every episode starts off with the closing of the garage door. Oh. It's hi everybody, hi everybody, hi everybody and welcome to another edition of Carnivorous Couch. Uh we are in a garage. Yeah. That's the reason for the garage door. So um yeah. anyway, uh I'm here, Rob, as per usual, and uh we got uh, the return of David Samuel Shaken. Hi everybody. Yeah. Hey, how do you have your martinis? How do I drink my martinis? You have them stirred? Uh yeah, I'm not a James Bond character. I'm pretty sure you have them shaken, shaken. Oh yeah, of course. How could I forget my very theme in life? And then as um, always, we've also got Brady Larson here. I am also frequently on the show. Hello. Yeah, you're you're one of the titular characters of the show. <laughs> Tit. <laughs> so anyway, um, we did, upon Shaken's suggestion, the uh, make lots of noise with your mic, Rob. Um, we did the. Hold on, everybody, be quiet for thirty seconds. We did the bad sleep well. Which yes, yeah, yeah, Kurosawa. Yeah, the bad sleep well. Yeah. A master, an old master. Kurosawa's uh, one of Kurosawa's two or three movies about modern Japan, and uh, very different from the others that I've seen. So, uh, wait, movie. what are the other two? I I know I know Ikuru, which is uh, about a, about a man a man dying. I I need to, to see that one. Yeah, it's a very good movie, but uh, I think there might one have been one more. Favorites. I'm not sure. Yeah, because this is the first modern Kurosawa I've seen as well. I've, what have I seen? I've seen Rashomon. I've seen Seven Samurai. No, you I've saw seen, High and Low. I've seen High... Oh, you're right. But I fell asleep partway through, uh, which I am deeply sorry for because it was a great movie up until that point. And I've... Oh, yeah, I've also seen uh, Yojimbo. Oh, okay. Yojimbo. Yeah, I think I've just seen the, you know, the Seven Samurai a long time ago. don't remember it. Uh, Hidden Fortress long time ago. don't remember it. Um... Um, the one that everybody sees, Rashomon. Uh, yes. Which I, uh, right. I remember that one pretty well, even though it's been a while. And uh, oh, I even forgot. High and low, and then this. So, but that's my Kurosawa. I love Seven Seven Samurai. I have seen all of those except for and Ron, and Throne of Blood. I have not seen High and Low, but I've seen uh, all the others mentioned in those. So who feels best qualified to give a plot synopsis of this particular iteration of Kurosawa? Uh, I can do it. All right, shaking. All right, so this uh, Kurosawa movie takes place in uh, corporations that are developing public land in Japan, in particular two corporations who are... uh, The premise of the movie is that two corporations are... Uh, doing a kickback scheme. And the one corporation provides the other corporation with more money than it really takes to construct the site, and they share the money at the public's expense. In the middle of this, there are occasionally people they have to get rid of through forced suicide. 
and in steps uh, a man who is at the beginning of the movie apparently the uh, new son-in-law of one of the heads of the corporations Mr. once again uh, spoiler full podcast anyway go ahead what <laughs> spoiler full podcast I'm just letting the listener know I thought that we're gonna have spoilers yes but I thought I was supposed to give a plot synopsis I'm gonna give a plot synopsis without spoiling that's why I jumped in there to make sure that was said. Okay. So anybody listening to this might go, oh, wait, I should watch the movie first. So, yes, we won't, do watch the so, movie so we'll, I won't. So yeah. I won't give you a full spoiler, but es- essentially – No, no, yeah. oh, no give no, no. the spoilers. Spoil away, we just need to tell everybody that there are spoilers. Okay. You have to see, how it's, see it for yourself and see how it's done. But uh, the, uh, the uh, apparent uh, – Son-in-law of the of the heads of a corporation, Mister uh, Son. What is it? Uh, I- Iwabuchi? Is that is, is that how is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Iwabuchi. Iwabuchi. Yes, Iwabuchi's uh, s- son-in-law with whose uh, wedding to his uh, handicapped daughter, the physically two people are getting married. The, uh, movie opens. Two people are getting married, right? Uh is eventually discovered to be uh, very different from what we think it is after he prevents the suicide of a subordinate uh, dyed-in-the-wool bureaucrat named Nawa, who is a uh, very... Uh, Wata, isn't it? Wada. 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 Uh, a meek and, I would say, almost extremely weak man who just follows orders, and he's been doing it his whole life. And, and he's very uncomfortable and, and with this whole situation. He, 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 doesn't know, he doesn't know what to do, and he's, he's willing to die... Be, Dire than face up corporate disgrace. Yeah, right. I mean, wasn't and, um, the, wasn't the first underling like had to actually be killed? But the first underling Wada did get killed. Completely but, willing to uh, throw for, himself for, into for, a volcano for reasons yeah. for reasons that are. We decided it was it wasn't Mount a volcano. It was a bomb site, a site a site that had been bombed out in the Second World War, I believe. Uh, it, no, it was a volcano. It was a volcano. Yeah. Yeah. It was a volcano. Okay, well, I looked it up. It wasn't a man-made <laughs> volcano. It was, a, it was an actual volcano. It was an actual so, uh, active volcano. Yes. So Nawa's suicide is prevented by the character known as, no, no, I say known as Nishi, and uh, Nishi Wada does not understand why why Nishi or the son-in-law of Iwabuchi is uh, saving him from a suicide that Iwabuchi has essentially ordered. We later learn that. Uh, Nishi is seeking revenge for a previous corporate suicide, which happens to be that of his father. And that this is a real spoiler that he is not actually Nishi, but uh, a ki- but has traded identities with Nishi. His friend who is helping him in the scheme is Nishi. So without, without giving away some of the more delicate details, um, in 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 the end, uh, Nishi, uh, the man known as Nishi rather, uh, gets killed. Uh, that's way later. I, I was. Oh, I thought you said in the end. Towards the middle, rather. <laughs> uh, to, 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 towards the middle, rather. The, the man, uh, the, the man known as no, no, known as Nishi to the world, uh, attempts to seek revenge for his father, but he can't bring himself to do it. And this is a masterly scene where you see, really, the greatness of it is. Uh, it summarizes the greatness of the movie. I'll get to that in a second. But he, uh, he can't bring himself to do it. And eventually, Iwabuchi finds out about uh, who his uh, son-in-law really is, and Nishi uh, 
Nishi attempts to get the, the whole story publicized, but is betrayed by Wada, who is his partner in crime in this, uh, his extremely reluctant partner in crime in this uh, revenge plot, and Iwabuchi wins because the bad sleep well. And that's a pretty crude plot summary. It's kind of a complicated plot, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, very. I mean, yeah. what, what's one of the other big things that happens? Like the way that we find out about the development that his father was forced into an assisted suicide. Or no, it's just, well. I'm gonna try and do it in like five sentences, really quick. Okay, well, okay, I was about to. Oh wait, say something. five. Okay, go ahead. Um, no, that's okay. Uh, the one of the first things that happens, kind of early to midway through the movie, is they blackmail an underling named uh, Shirai, and. You know, Wada helps Nishi steal money from one of their bank vaults, and they place that money in Shirai's briefcase to blackmail him, because Shirai apparently was present at the father's suicide. And also a, a weak character, <laughs> in, in a good way. You know, he's he's a weak-willed person. Yeah, I it's Shirai, don't it's quite Shirai, remember it's Shirai that early. Who, it's Shirai who. Who 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 was almost forced to jump out of the same window as through which the character known in the movie as Nishi's father. Oh right, yeah, he doesn't. Window. And yet he doesn't. He doesn't try to get Iwabuchi to jump through a window. That would be impossible. Well, he doesn't Iwabuchi die. He just a powerful character. He just has a psychotic break because. Yeah. Well, they do all sorts of shit to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they they, 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 they make they they make they make the uh, evil in his part come home. So, so they decide a psychotic break is good enough, but because it's not a suicide, it's able to be hushed up by the uh, by, by the head of the public corporation and the Dario Point Corporation, the grafter, the grafters who are the villains of this uh, movie. Yeah, so that that probably explains uh, you know what's going on in wide view. Should we uh, do yeah. our uh, hey, how do we like it segment? Sure. Hey, 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 how do we like it? Hi everybody! Hi everybody! Hi everybody! Hi everybody. We're back. Well, but we never went away. Oh, ah, shit! There's nowhere to go. Well, we're here. Okay, we're back. We did go away, but we were gonna try. We'll pull the curtain away from the wizard. Um, um, we're gonna do a segment called uh, "Hey, hey, how do we like it?" So. David, how do you like this movie? I think this movie is wonderful. It certainly, uh, it, it certainly sustains a second view. This is the second time I've seen it in a few uh, weeks or perhaps a month, and it contains uh, incredibly powerful scenes showing uh, life, uh, showing what makes people tick and why it is that people are willing to do uh, unscrupulous things get away with it and in sh and through that vista you really see uh, you, you really see what can't change in uh, in society and why a highbrow society can't change it's also simply a story it's also simply a human drama it's a thriller it's uh, it's um well played, as far as I can tell, with, through uh, subtitles, um, and it's really quite original, simple and original. And if you, you had to give it like a letter grade, what would you do? A. A. Did you already say that? No. Oh, okay. 
He just said it like he might have already said it. And I was like, oh, no, did I did I ask and answered him? Mr. Lawyer would know what ask and answered is. Uh, okay. Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. I, I liked it. Thought it was it was quite good. Uh, you know, Kurosawa knows his way around a good shot. Uh, it's it's really well shot, uh, particularly segments in the middle. I really like the recurring motif of Shirai returning to his home and seeing the the ghost in quotes what he thinks is the ghost of Wada standing at the end of his street in the lamplight. Um, you know, I, I'll say because we're being critical that you know it it may be longer than it needs to be, but one thing's for sure is. Kurosawa knows how to compose. Kurosawa knows his way around his actors. And basically, Kurosawa is Robert De Niro. You know, if Kurosawa is Scorsese, then Toshiro Mifune was his Robert De Niro. Worked with him on tons of projects. Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, uh, Rashomon, all the famous ones. And so, you know, it's a, a great sturdy actor to have with us for the duration of the plot. And, you know, I, I thought it was really good. I, I think you can see the blueprint of a lot of movies we get nowadays too, where you know we have, we have a, a mysterious but essentially benevolent character going against a shadowy organization, and so you know it, it's a lot of fun to see that kind of in blueprint, um, and you know uh, I'm, I'm sure at the time too, I mean this is just me guessing speculating but. I've, I've, at the time, I don't know how many movies you had like this where you had a good guy. The entire movie is about a good guy trying to take down something sinister. And in the end, the sinister force still ends up winning. So that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I, I really like it a lot. And uh, you'll hopefully not hate me if I say that like it a lot means a B plus. But I thought it was a strong, very strong movie. And uh, yeah, Kira Kurosawa is a great director. So yeah, that's there's where I am. I liked it too. I would probably also I would give it an A minus. Ah, damn! I'm I'm sorry. I'm on the low end. I I, I liked it. I well, quite liked it. Well, I mean, yeah. No, I know you liked it. You gave it a B plus, and that's a very fair grade. There, there's a little bit. There, there, there's no great inflation at the University of Grady Cinema. Yeah, it's also really hard to uh, kind of put a Japanese film on an American grading scale. Oh, my grading skill is not American. It's Martian. Why is that, Rob? Um, I'm just saying that I think the way Japanese cinema works and the way that it's put together uh, is kind of an apples and oranges comparison when you compare it with American film. I just said compare a bunch of times in one or two sentences, but... Uh, I certainly I think, think my point came across. It has a different cinematic uh, grammar, certainly, and there are, it is difficult to compare. I just still think you can make overall comparisons of how much it moved you. Well, but then see, and I didn't find this to be a particularly you know when we talk about that distinction, and maybe for our audience we better explain this this distinction between Western style and Eastern style storytelling. Kurosawa is known for being a more Western style storyteller. Yeah, I know that. And I, this is not this the is a linear thing. Movie. I was. Saying. It oh I know, but if we're talking about, you know, a grading scale, a western style idea of film, can't make room for this. I think this is absolutely a linear film. I think it's interesting. It does drop us in at the beginning with very little information. We get what we you know, all the information we have is from this Greek chorus of journalists who are at the wedding of Nishi and the daughter of Iwabuchi. 
And so we get a little bit of info, but it's not till the midpoint that we even find out about the development of Nishi's father uh, having been forced to commit suicide. And so in that sense, maybe there's a bit of an Easternness in that the movie doesn't care about us knowing everything immediately. But once we fall into that mode, I think this is a linear story. This isn't, you know, a tone poem by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, well, certainly. I, I, I even thought being dropped in the beginning without much information was part of the conventions of Western thrillers as well. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's not particular to this. I wasn't okay. I wasn't saying that it was yeah. Eastern. I was just saying that, kind of. Um, I, I would say that the the lens as it floats through and exposits the environment is different in uh, Japanese storytelling, particularly comparatively to, uh, you know, say Italian cinema, American cinema. Um, Spanish cinema, rest of the world. Uh, the, the there, takes, there's some the conventions. Can vary between those as well. Between the, the there's some conventions that are yeah. very particular to uh, Japanese film. Now, can you give us an example in the film? No. Ah, I'm not very good at that. I, I'm not trying to needle you, I, I, but you know, we've got listeners who probably haven't seen the thing. So, uh, if we could visualize this or kind of make it concrete for them. It's been a long time since I've read anything that I would care to uh, exposit here that would possibly uh, be a good thing to say. Okay, but, well, that's fair. Um, you know, my, my grading scale is international, man. It makes room for all of them. Yeah. The language of cinema is universal, according to an old landmark commercial. Uh but anyways, uh, get, getting back to what's the structure of the rest of this podcast? Well, we're doing, hey, how do we like it? And I, I guess oh, we, we finished with that. Now yeah. now we just talk about the film. Okay, great. I mean, I, I'd kind of like to run through it in a little less detail. Because in that way, I'll know what to talk about. Okay. I have no idea what to talk about. Because like uh, going through the um, the film in as much detail as we did can't draw me to any one particular thing I was thinking of when I was watching it. So no, I'm going to try that, and... That, that gives us something to discuss, though, which is the... unforgettable scenes that stand for, them, that's, that's, that stand, uh, stand for themselves, even though the, the plot has to set up what's going on. There are, there are scenes that are just uh, incredibly powerful for getting the overall sequence of the movie. Such as the scenes Brady was talking about, uh, where uh, where where, where Shirai comes home repeatedly to see what he thinks is a ghost of uh, the of, of Nawa, which is actually simply Nawa working for uh, Shishiro Mifune. Right, Wato was just yeah. faking being a ghost. Yeah, Wato was faking. Wata. Yeah, Wata was faking being a ghost. W-A-D-A. Yeah. Wait, yeah, Wata, like you know that stuff that you drink that keeps you alive. <laughs> Give me some water. Yeah. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Uh, Here I am at Camp Granada. I was swimming in the water. Another un- <laughs> another unforgettable, unforgettable scene is the scene in which, uh, towards the beginning of the movie, in which uh, Toshiro Mifune introduces Wada to his role in the, in the Great Revenge plot by showing him his own funeral. I don't think that's been done too many times. Yeah, a, no. a man seeing his own funeral is, 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 is something you don't see every day in a movie. <laughs> Tom Sawyer. <laughs> yeah, sometimes a man sees his own grave. That's usually 
I think that's the Western equivalent, uh, like a la Dickens, is that uh, they don't see funerals. They usually just see the grave, right? In their imagination or in... Or, or well, I mean, like, in grave. Christmas Carol and in Back to the Future, Tom part Sawyer. three. Tom Sawyer Tom sees so- his funeral. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, Tom Sawyer, Sawyer sees his funeral. Yeah. yeah. But, he fakes his death. But I was talking about how I think in movies, a lot of the time, the symbol is that you see your grave. Is that right? Is it Sawyer? It's Sawyer, right? Tom, Not... Tom Sawyer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not... Well, well Not or is Finn. it? It could be. Is it Finn? No, I I swear it's Sawyer. Wait, no, no, because I remember reading that, and I only read Huckleberry Finn. I never read Tom Sawyer. Okay. That must be so. It then. I think it's Huck Finn because he's he's Huck Finn's the one who goes on the raft with the slave, right? Yeah. 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 And then at, at the end, he's up top, right? He's up top. And in, in the um, the part of the church that's at the top of the church. Overlooking the rest of the church. Oh yeah, okay. The pulpit. Yeah, that makes sense. Is it a pulpit? What the is the that church? The steeple. Okay, so here's how old churches were laid out. You have a box. You have a thing up here that's like a split level, and then you have the main cathedral with all the pews, and then here's the front where Jesus is, or the cross is, or whatever the hell you're worshiping there. You know, the dead goat that I always try to get of Brady's. <laughs> He's quiet oh, so the, far. Oh, the, 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 the relic gallery in a Catholic church? Gallery? Yeah, that could the be tabernacle. it. Tabernacle. Tabernacle, yes. There we go. Like, uh... The vestibule. Right. I think it was Huck Finn. Those are different things, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, no, okay. So, but David's right. Like, you know, parts of this, like, as an overall story, I'm going to go back and say that I think this is mostly a linear story. And, you know, certainly in our current movie climate... We see a lot of movies that are like this, this kind of political intrigue thing. Wait, aren't but, most movies linear? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, we're in America. We that's, are used to Western storytelling. That's the de facto, right? Linear. Yeah, but, you okay. know, we still have Terrence Malick. We, ha- we have non, not strictly linear stories that still exist. Movies that are more about, uh, you know, bathing in a certain kind of environment, more of a poetic approach. But anyway, that's we're getting off subject. What I was going to say is, um, <laughs> while I don't think that anything about the narrative of taking on corruption itself is groundbreaking, I don't know if it was back then, what I think really lifts this movie is what David was saying, is that it does, Kurosawa does have an eye for good set pieces. One of the first ones I think of, which I thought was a really striking image, is at the wedding where a wedding cake gets rolled out in the shape of the building that uh, Nishi's father jumped out of to with his a, death with a black rose in the and uh, a black rose, yeah. In the, I mean that's a that's a great image. Well, that's why I wanted to go through it in like five lines <laughs> because I had like five scenes. Oh, okay. We'll get to it. Well, no, go on with what you're saying. Uh, oh, yeah, that was no, I, that was one of them. I mean, uh, but this I'll just sprinkle this will be a good that. segue because if, if you're going to get into specific scenes, yeah, what them. I think is the strength of this movie for me is that even if the narrative itself isn't anything earth shattering, Kurosawa knows how to frame scenes. He knows how to make things striking that a man watching his own funeral, uh, you know, Shirai looking at the ghost of Wada, the cake that indicates the suicide. Those are all done with a strong kind of visual language. Yeah. Extremely, extremely talented cinematography. I don't know if he did it himself or, or with the help of a of an uh, of a cinematography director, but whoever did it was a master. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, very well composed. Um, you know, you would know more about the details of how labor is divided on the movie than I would. But um, all right, Rob. So, so take us in here. You had you had some scenes in mind. Let's get into it. Well, one of them was that one that you were just talking about. Which one? The one with the cake. So, what'd you think? Well, you said it already. You talked about the cake and the flower. Oh, you know, I, I really liked it. I found it. Because uh, at that point, we don't know too much. We know of the suicide. And so I think I found it chilling partly because we don't know everything. And it's such a strong kind of viscerally chilling gesture. This cake being wheeled out and this rose sticking out. Yeah, so let me see. There's the wedding. And then after that, we get a series of newspaper, blah, blah, blah. And then, da, ba, da, ba, da, and then, da. and then that one guy gets killed because he runs in front of a truck. And it's unclear whether or not that's a suicide or a murder, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a forced suicide, essentially. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, forced by maneuvering. Yeah. Right. Not by, not, not by like, I'm going to kill you and make it look like a suicide. That's forced suicide. I mean, I would say that's the definition of forced suicide. No, that's a, that's a murder frame of suicide. I would say the definition of forced suicide is somebody being put under pressure where they feel they have no other options to commit suicide. Is right. what happened in this uh, scene. Yeah. I just want to clarify what forced suicide is. Right. Which is um, what you said, not killing somebody. And, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that, that happened. What was I talking about? Oh, you, uh, well, scenes that you liked. That's two of them. I can't remember. Uh, uh, let's 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 the talk about the end right of the movie. Let's let's talk about the end of the movie when uh when uh when Nishi and uh, his friend whose identity he's, he's swapped with are uh, in a ruins in the ruins of a Second World War munitions factory somewhere outside of Tokyo, I presume. Uh, yeah, um, that's yeah. what I presume too. Uh, and there's some incredible there's some incredible scenes of. Uh, Pouring rain on 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 ruins munition factory. Also, a scene of uh, re- reminiscences of being forced to work in it between the friends in the middle of this terrible situation or in this complex situation, and they, they do not eventually survive. Do do not end up surviving. Uh, uh, which where they're, they're simply reminiscing about old times that are very bad, but they made it through, and this time they're not going to make it through. But which is already. Somewhat obvious, I would say. It's somewhat. It's this, this movie, even though it's a thriller that we're spoiling for you, doesn't uh, ever look like the good guys are gonna win, as, as, in my opinion. Especially since the very title is a bad sleep. Well, you don't think that the good guys are gonna win in the end. Yeah, I mean, I'd yeah. say it dangles enough hope out there for there to be suspense and yeah. for it to achieve the proper tragedy. When, yeah, as you say, things yeah. don't go that way. You 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 see you see you see you see things through the lens of the good characters and their and their hopes so well that you suspend disbelief about how you know it's going to end, which is part of what makes the movie powerful, in my opinion. I think it's a good place to break and maybe go do our understudy. All right. Okay. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay but we've got two understudies and to be honest they're probably more famous anyway so try to catch the actors try to guess the movies tweet us at c-a-r-n-y couch this game called understudy is happening 
happening, happening right now. My stepfather's always going off about how when he was young, he was committed to all these causes. He's full of shit. All the old hippies are full of shit. He says, I don't care about things like he did. What's he care about now? Boldness, fatty meat, and money. I rest my case. What's spooky is they still control everything. They took over what they, when they were young, and they never gave it up. One of the most frightening experiences of my young life has been observing people, my parents, and our neighbors playing the Baby Boom edition of Trivial Pursuits. It's chilling to see people crazed with uh, the minutia of their past. It's human nature to think that what you had better than what you have. Agreed! To your left is the world's tallest building. The Sears Tower. The Sears? The Sears Tower. Tower. The Sears Tower. You know, this is all very interesting, but I'm starving. An hour ago, you wanted to yak. I feel better now. Lean over and grab a fish. What comes after a nuclear winter? Nuclear Spring. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C A R N Y Couch. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the last little bit of. Well, not last little bit. But but a little bit. Yeah, so I'm supposed to talk more. Um, so my topic is going to be Brady's a dick. Let me tell you how Brady's a dick. Brady's a dick because he wants me to talk about this film more, but I don't have anything intelligent to say, and I keep getting things confused when I try to say them. So, I don't, don't want to say anything. That was good, but you need more of a thesis statement. <laughs> no, I guess okay, I'm a dick well, is so a thesis statement. There's the cake, and that was really cool. And then um, and there's that, that dude who ran in front of a car because he was committing suicide. And yeah, then... You seem nice. Then what happened? Well, then then the, uh, he saves the other guy from flinging himself into a volcano. Oh, right, yeah. That's when we get Wada. And then he blackmails Shirai. And then Shirai sees Wada as a ghost. And then right. David oh, and I and were... And then Shirai has the psychological break. Yeah, okay, we yeah, talked about that. Let's talk well, about what happens there. On the seventh floor, because that's a big scene. Yeah. Uh, Probably the that's where we find out what, what happened to Nishi's the mid, father. Mid, midway climax of the movie. Okay, yeah. what happened there? Well, I mean, I, I, I should say that in the reverse, because we know this thing happened to someone. It's when we find out that the person who it happened to was Nishi's father. All right. But what happens? David? What happens to Nishi's father? I know uh, what happens in that scene on the seventh oh, floor. Oh, well, what happens in that scene on the seventh floor is that uh, Nishi, having uh, kidnapped uh, Shirai, uh, brings bring, brings him with his uh, unwilling accomplice Wada to the uh, to to the scene of his father's suicide and tries to replicate the suicide as a way of expu- expunging the crime and getting revenge. There's elements of both, uh, but he first he's, he's gonna push him out the window. 
Then he's going. Then, then he's he, gonna make him jump out the window. Then he pretends to poison him or give him poison. He but gives him fake poison, which is simply whiskey. Yeah. Um. And no says, "Now either poison yourself or jump out the window." And then, like, he throws the whiskey down his throat, and the guy has a psychotic break. Yeah, that's which is what the, only, the only moral victory that they get throughout the movie is uh, is causing a psychotic break in this uh, well, underling uh, bureaucrat. The real I'd guys. say this is the second one because they do. Um, this is when things are maybe at their most hopeful, right before things go completely belly up. Uh, you know, once his wife accidentally betrays him to her father but for a while they at least get this other guy Muriyama. Muriyama is the guy who does some sleuthing and eventually identifies that Nishi or actually Itakura but going by Nishi is the son of this guy that they had commit suicide all these years ago. He's able to identify him in a funeral photo and so Nishi eventually well, Yeah that happens later right? Yeah yeah but well, but it, you know in terms of moral victories I'd say one of the biggest is that they eventually, after imprisoning Moriyama, get him to reveal where he's hidden this money, which will implicate the company. It'll help them to do you know, the entire sum total of what they've been trying to get at, which is to expose this corruption. Yeah, but they lose. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, it's their highest point because that's what happens in tragedies before you lose everything. You get your biggest glimmer of hope before it all slips away. Yeah. Anyway, back oh. to the seventh floor scene. Sorry. All right. I, I think I finished with the what happened. Well, we, we we understand very well. We understand very well why that's what happens. Yeah, we understand very well why they're unable to do it because they're not uh, they're they're not cold blooded. They can't remember. They can't keep in keep in mind the situation well enough to go against their instincts to be. Uh, ethical people as things appear in a certain situation and the ethic right. the, the, what, what, what appears in a situation is that killing is wrong even, even though they have a higher project to expose a real evil by by doing something apparently evil they can't bring themselves to do it and that is uh, that is kind of the crux of the movie I think actually I was al- 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 alluding to it earlier the uh, crux of the movie as symbolized especially by the uh, cowardly character not is that it's almost impossible to uh, to bring yourself to, to do things that are against your instinct for for, uh, for I suppose I could call them elaborated moral theories for uh, because of things we firmly believe to be true about the world we can't necessarily use those to go against what we perceive in the moment to moment yeah and that's interesting like in that vein the character who really brings it all tumbling down to me was really Yoshiko, who's the daughter of our main antagonist, uh, Ichibua. Am Iwo- I saying that right? I- no, Iwabuchi. Iwabuchi, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and the wife of Nishi. I, probably our most purely innocent character. Completely blameless. She's the one who, you know, just through her own guilelessness, through her own naivete, you know, and she's heard at this point that her father has done some bad things. But when her father concocts a ruse to lead, to have her lead him to Nishi, she's completely willing to, you know, let him do that. Because at the end of the day, when she looks him in the eye, she doesn't have that kind of soulless, menacing quality that our antagonists in the movie and our eventual victors in the movie have. Uh, so, yeah, going on what David said, I think that's that's very interesting that, 
you know, at the end, it does turn on a conflict between the most guileless person in the movie and the most scheming person in the movie coming face to face. And that's the father and daughter. Yeah, because the father tricks her, right? Yeah, the father tricks her. And even though she's heard, you know, she knows at this point that her father is not all he seems to be. Uh, and I find it interesting. Did you notice that scene we have kind of early in the movie where the father's really playing up his kind of innocent persona? He's, I think, in an apron. And he's just really playing this role of, you know, I'm just a father to my kids. I'm a simple man cooking on a weekend. Oh, yeah, man. He's Walter White, you know. Yeah, Walter White. He's like just cooking on his brick oven outside. And then he gets a phone call and then he starts cussing and the assistant. That Lily there. of the Valley. He's yeah. right behind him. What Lily of the Valley? Sorry, we're referencing Breaking Bad now. Um, yeah. But, spoiler full podcast, people. But you know, corrupt family men. Right? E- even even if the topic isn't breaking bad, it might be <laughs> referenced. We might spoil Game of Thrones for you too. Do you think all of Kurosawa's movies were actually just stolen from Breaking Bad with a time machine? Maybe. God, Breaking Bad's so good. <laughs> oh, good. Anyway, sorry. Good job, sardonic hipster Brady. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, they're good. At, they're very. They have to be very good at physics, but very bad at movie plotting to make that theory work. Um. Okay, so um, I do like the likening of the volcano that Wada's going to kill himself into. David, uh, when we were watching the movie, David and I were trying to discuss whether or not it was a, uh, you know, the ruinous, like, kind of a dreamscape reality of the uh, um, country after it had been bombed by the atom bombs 15 years earlier or not. By, by conventional bombing. I don't think this was in Hiroshima or Nagasaki specifically. Right, but it was yeah. burning, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have been symbolic of that. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. We didn't know whether or not he was walking through a nightmare escape or a reality thing at the time. Right. But I looked it up. It was a volcano. Yeah. But, you know, even without that... What volcano was? No. Is Fuji a volcano? I think all those mountains there are a volcano. I just don't know whether or not they're active. Right, because the whole Pacific Rim thing is rotating, and then the. Yeah, we all know how tectonic plates work. If you don't read up on it, interesting stuff. Yeah, I I think even with it being a volcano, we still get some of what you're talking about the ruins of a a charred post war Japan, and just the fact that our. Maybe our chief climax takes place in the bombed out ruins of that munitions factory. Yeah, Yeah, the thing that kind of stood out to me was just like the Americanization of all the stuff in this film, and I'm not sure that was happening by the 60s. I don't know if that was done on purpose, or like if it was exaggerated or all, I have no frame of reference to, to think that. I just like was startled by it. Like a lot of Chevrolet cars, because I didn't have Japanese, there was no Toyota motor company or anything yet. But um, when, when did Toyota Was start? that the case? They, didn't, they certainly didn't, uh, didn't export to the United States. They might... They, the companies may may have existed, but they may have been considered inferior cars at that point, and the rich driven American cars, yeah, the other way around. Yeah, but I mean, um, like the cabbie was driving a Chevy. Undoubtedly, like a '56, you know, with the uh, with the small fins, not the big fins. Yeah, I think that 
I think. That's what we call a spoiler full car. Brady made a joke, everybody. I make a spoiler full car. I don't get a joke. It's okay. You don't have to get it. It'll come to you later. In when the you're night, <laughs> piano wire when you're wrapped s- around its hands. Yeah, when you're asleep and... and it'll say, find me funny. But it's not that funny. Yeah. Pretty made a joke, everybody. Whether or not the uh, set pieces of the... In- including the cars and some of the buildings being made to look more American than they were in reality is the case. There were certainly conventions borrowed from American thriller. Yeah, I just I just well. don't yeah. know if that was on purpose or not because I don't... Like, if it was 1960 and I was watching this movie when it came out, I might have been able to say, had I been to Japan. But I was just startled by the amount of Americanization that there was in this film. Were they really that Americanized? 15 minutes after... Or 15 minutes. Yeah, let's consider a year a minute. 15 minutes after they were bombed by us? <laughs> were they embracing our technology and yes, American-made that, that goods mu- that, that quickly? Is, that much is true. That people were very sick of living under uh, uh, of living under the shoguns. Oh, they didn't like living under uh, Hirohito, right? Is the guy? Yes. Uh, yes. Nobody liked living under a war dictator. Um, once once they realized they didn't have to, it was quite the celebration in the streets. Fifteen minutes. Um, That's a fast turnaround for. <laughs> you, you, you 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 think you're joking? You think you're joking? It, it it was a very fast turnaround in '45. But anyways, that's that's not subject here. Yeah, but um, 15 minutes is just <laughs> pushing the ability of time to proceed at a normal rate. Yeah, just based on my limited knowledge of history, like I'm gonna say, da- David's right. I remember hearing just that. Basing on the fact that David knows a lot of things about history, I'm gonna say David's right. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a, it's a sound bet. Good job, shaking. I, I seem to knew you were here for a reason. Yeah, Japan in the wake of World War II was, I, I think, maybe even. Uh, tell me if this is right, David. Maybe there were some other Asian nations that kind of had a critical attitude toward Japan, attitude toward Japan, because of its desire to kind of westernize and modernize, uh, you know, and go in directions that were very uh, kind of in keeping with the American way of doing things. Which is uh, also makes it funny. Are you asking me or David? I'm asking David. They were you can more, the, the, the more immediate cause of resentment was the uh, barbaric prison camps and slaughters of the Japanese army in, in, in the rest of Asia. That's still the cause of resentment. <laughs> well, I'm, um, I'm sure that's the much bigger crime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, of course, the, 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 the Maoist forces in China, as opposed to the nationalist forces, would have agreed with, agreed with the sentiment you're describing. But uh, they hadn't. Uh, they hadn't. I believe they they won. Uh, they they won their final victory in '49. I believe the nationalists were still around right after the war in China. But that's different. David so Samuel shaking yeah. everybody. Shaking. No one the history and stuff. I wish I was educated on things. I wish I was educated on things. Just period. You went to more school than I did. Yeah, I, I didn't pay attention though. <laughs> Apparently neither did I, because I can't really dissect this film in my uh, sleep. De- am I sleep deprived? I'm not really that sleep deprived. I got no, no. You look good. You're you're looking robust. All right, let's go do our rank it, and then we'll come back after that and yeah. uh, talk more.
everybody this is our uh, segment rank it bitch we got me brady and uh david samuel shaking and uh we're gonna give you our top seven cohen brothers movies for those of you who don't know who the cohen brothers are that's uh ethan and joel cohen uh do they direct jointly sometimes or, or does it just like ethan writes and joel, and ethan joel. Writes. yeah all right well, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get started. What's your number seven, Shaken? Hudson Proxy. Why? Well, it wasn't my favorite movie of theirs, but it was a uh, it, it, it was a good uh, semi-dark comedy, uh, and it, uh, it had good period piece qualities, and uh, I mean, it was original original plot idea. Say that again. It had good period piece qualities or semi-period piece qualities and an original plot. It was cute. It was funny. Okay, so your number seven is? Hudsucker Proxy. And why? For the reasons I just stated. Yeah, but you weren't coming through on the mic because you pushed your mic further. Oh, oh, okay. So uh, it had semi-period piece qualities. It had uh, uh, an original plot. It wasn't my favorite Coen Brothers movie. All right, Brady, go ahead. Uh, my number seven. Oh, I should get this out of the way. There's some I haven't seen, including some major ones, as I understand it. I haven't seen the Hudsucker Proxy, and I haven't seen uh, some of the early ones. I haven't seen Blood Simple, Miller's Crossing, or Barton Fink. So those won't be making an appearance because I haven't seen them. Uh, but my number seven is The Man Who Wasn't There. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just a, you know, a really strong noir I wish Billy Bob Thornton would come back and act more. I really actually have a tremendous opinion of him as an actor. And it's got, you know, beautiful cinematography. And yeah, it's just kind of this lonely 50s story of a barber who just doesn't fit in anywhere, doesn't seem to have any sense of who he is. He, you know, people don't know who he is, and I don't think he knows the answer either. And so, yeah, just a really ingenious tweak on the noir. Okay, and as far as not having seen things, I've only seen the seven I'm going to rank. So, uh, my number seven is A Serious Man. Hey, David, what's your number six? No reason there? Oh, uh, well, it was the, uh, it's the one I remember the least. And, uh, since, uh, I've only seen seven, it just goes at the bottom because, uh, can't I have to put it there. Okay, my number six. Because the other is, ones are higher. My number six is Raising Arizona. All right. Uh, Any reason? Yeah, I th- I, th- I think there were there, there there I've seen about ten of them and there were uh, and, and and this this was definitely a good movie. There were original moments. The plot of the five uh, twin twin the five uh, what do you call? Uh, oh, quintuplets. Quintuplets. Uh, uh, of whom one of was going to be stolen was pretty funny, and uh, I, I thought I thought that one moment was unforgettable. Cool, cool. 
Uh, I would like to say I also really like Raising Arizona. It just missed. Would have been my number eight. I'm fairly certain. Uh, okay. So my number six is a movie I saw countless times in high school. Uh, it's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And, uh, you know, it did, it did a lot of great things. It proved to me that Clooney was a gifted comedian. I'd never taken Clooney seriously at all up to that point. It's got beautiful, like, green and gold, sun-dappled cinematography. Uh, it's funny. It, it's got this ingenious riff on Homer's Odyssey, which is really interesting. And, yeah, no, I, I really just adore this kind of view of these prisoners in the Depression escaping and basically finding out that they're actually very talented musicians. And if you really want to talk about the cultural impact of this thing, the soundtrack of this movie, which no one saw coming, went on, I think, to be octuple platinum. Just a huge watershed soundtrack. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I love this movie. Gillian Welch is really good. Yeah. Okay, my number... What are we on, six? Six. Uh, Man Who Wasn't There. It's one of my favorite movies. really like that movie. I think hey, David, done. what's your number six? <laughs> no, no, David's on his number five. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Oh, brother, where are that was my number five. Understandable. <laughs> Is it me? Yeah, unless David's got something else to say. No. I, I also love the soundtrack, and, 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 and it's clever. Gillian Welch is really good. Yeah. Okay, my number five, I recently saw the original of this, and it made me appreciate it all the more, even though the original is cool in its way, but it made me appreciate what the Coens did with True Grit because they basically take this from being kind of a more standard story of this girl getting revenge with this aging marshal, Rooster Cogburn, and they infuse it with this idea of original sin and kind of that if you're going for revenge, when you finally get to that point, it's going to have its consequences. And so it, it's a film that really manages to have its cake and eat it too. I always say that. But it, it manages to hit its comedic notes, but also be really suffused. What does that even rich. mean, to have your cake and eat it too? Well, it means to be able to kind of accomplish aims which might seem contradictory no i mean like I literally what does that mean oh it means that they eat the cake and then still have cake left the cake left over i think yeah in which case you would eat it later and that's why you want to have you don't want to have cake to look at it you wanted to eat it right but it, there's not, uh, there's a value to looking at cake because it's pretty and filigreed with frosting and uh, it's a cake i just want to eat cake and eat it too i don't understand having it well, but that once you eat it, you don't have any more cake. You just have an empty plate. It's a paradox of uh, cake. Yeah, it's a p- not a paradox. This is not a paradox. Right. I never quite understood that phrase. And now that you guys have explained it, I've never quite understood that phrase. Anyway, uh, I I think True Grit's awesome. I, I love it. I I think that score, which is based on like I think old Protestant hymns, it just got a beautiful score. Uh, Roger Deakins, especially with this, is something the movie didn't have. This uh, kind of when at the end the character of uh, <laughs> the character of Maddie Ross gets bitten by snakes, which the new version underlines much better that it's because of her decision to shoot the guy who killed her father that she gets into the situation, and you sort of have this beautifully shot midnight ride on horseback to get her to a hospital in time, but it's just got this feeling of 
of loss and just that she'll never be the same for this action she's taken. Uh, so, you yeah, know, I, I think it's, it's just a beautifully shot, funny, sad, heartfelt movie. It's classic Coen's. So number mm. five. Uh, my number five is I'd rather wear out there for all the reasons David didn't state. Didn't state? Yeah, yeah, I don't think you gave any reasons for your number five being a brother we're out there. I said my reasons were similar to Brady's reasons. Oh, but Brady's reasons were the re- reasons he was number six. Right, but it, so I adapted those to number five reasons. Okay, Brady. I'm tired. I'm yeah. just uh, paraphrasing and trying to make jokes when I can. I'm tired. Uh, what's your number four, David? Barton Fink. You gotta tell us about this because I've never seen it. Yeah, Martin Bar- Bar- Fink is just a hilarious take on Hollywood in the '40s, and uh, the, the the various stock and in personalities as well as person people based on indiv- cameos based on individuals historical individuals in a movie are very funny. Um, they're they're uh, it's, it's sort of a send up of a whole era. Depression or early 40s era. Yeah. Okay. My number four is uh, A Serious Man. Uh, I think A Serious Man's great. Uh, it's It kind of picks up for me. I just on, don't remember it. It, it. It's something that the Coens have been looking at more and more lately and kind of, I feel like, started with No Country for Old Men. And it's this idea of kind of the absence of God or that God is not the benevolent figure that most religions see him as. And so A Serious Man is just this really interesting personal take on the story of Job, but kind of seen through the Cohen's own upbringing in the 60s in Minnesota. And sort of this man, this, uh, uh, what is he? He's a physics teacher? He's a math yeah, teacher? he's a physics professor. At, uh, yeah, a physics professor at a college. And basically the universe just starts to rain, you know, progressively increasing amounts of shit on him and yeah sort of the idea of well is there a god and he's kind of wrestling with you know why does this all happen to me i try to be a good provider i try to be a good father and sort of you know i mean it's kind of a cliche that line why do good things happen to bad people but the coens make it rich and just painful and bruising and resonant so yeah i I think a serious man is a movie that needs serious reevaluation because I, I think it's one of their greats. All right, my number four is uh, Fargo. It's a good movie. I like it. Wood chipper. Yeah, man. Fucking shoot that parking lot attendant. David, what's your number four? I mean, number three. Uh, as it turns out, my number three is Fargo. Uh, my number three is Fargo because it's... Uh, just grotesque and simple and manages to be well done despite that. It's almost like uh, uh, looks campy, but you you know you you, you can't uh, in a way that's much better than something that wasn't actually belabored could be. All right, <laughs> my my number three is the Big Lebowski. And I, what can I say about it? It's just probably the finest comedy made in the last decade, if I had to say. Uh, you know, 
<laughs> the dude is an iconic figure at this point. I am, man. It's, <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, it fits. It it's aces in so many categories. Like if someone asked me, show me a movie that really captures L.A. Big Lebowski, best comedy. Big Lebowski. It's yeah. It's just an ingenious kind of. Well, it's a noir story, right? It's it's like a Raymond Chandler style detective story, but with more laughs than I think that genre ever has or ever will provide. And yeah, it's it's just a and it's the easiest movie to rewatch possibly ever. Uh, yeah, the Big Lebowski may even belong higher, but for now it's number three. My number three, me and Rob, is True Grit. For all the things Brady said. Good showing for True Grit. Yeah. Hey, David, what's your number three? It's uh, three. Number two. Yeah, what's your number two? Uh, serious man. Now I'm a little bit biased, but uh, but for, 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 for me this is an absolutely hilarious. Wait, please explain for the listening public why you are biased. I come from a Midwestern Jewish background myself, and some of the things in that movie are particularly hilarious. You identify with it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the things that was brilliant about the movie was how it showed how how uh, a scene from the not so distant past at the beginning in the old country. Uh. And then move straight to move straight to the most po- different thing you could possibly imagine, which would have something in common with it, but superficially completely different. Which is the lives of the, of the people from possibly from the same lineage. It's not clear. Uh, uh, Seventy years later in Minnesota, and uh, the 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 movie cuts straight from uh, the uh, a fable in Yiddish to. Uh, to, to the playing of the Jeff- of Jefferson Airplane song, I believe it was. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, it Somebody to Love. Somebody to Love, yeah. And, uh, and, and then the rest of it, yeah, it's, it, it, it's a book of Job done, done in humorous fashion, and it's uh, the Coen brothers at their best doing grotesque characters with whom they were familiar. And, uh, and, and it's just very, it's just very well constructed. Uh, Around the comic episodes, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, Brady, hey, man. All right, my number two. What's your number two? Uh, I am shocked that this has been so low on your guys' list. And when I first decided that this was my number two uh, back in 2007, uh, I even was like, sacrilege. There's no way this movie is not number one. Like, what am I even thinking? I'm, I'm just being a firebrand by saying that. Uh, and that movie is Fargo. Uh, Fargo to me is it's my number three. It's not that oh, low. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> but I, I'm more criticizing my number myself four, even. which is my favorite number, and you won't let me do favorite numbers. So that's the first time I've said <laughs> that on the air. It's okay, guys. No, no, this is a safe place. No, no, Fargo is a perfect movie. It's it's a masterpiece, and it's probably the Coen's most human statement to date. Uh, the character of Marge Gunderson is just for the. I mean, for so many reasons, but just for that monologue at the end of the film alone, there's more to life than a little bit of money. Like, it, it's easily, for me, their most humane and focused message. And I, it just unfortunately gets beaten out for me by their most uh, focused and nihilistic message. But uh, Fargo is, is brilliant from first frame to last. So, number two. All right. My number two is No Country for Old 
Ma? Men. That's a bad end. Whoever wrote this didn't make a very good end there. It almost looks like no country for old meh. <laughs> that would be the best way to phrase a horrible critic's uh, response to that. It would be like, Leonard no country Malton for says. old men? More like no country for old meh. But no, that's a great movie. Um, and I love how uh, the uh, descending amounts of violence from the first, the first scene to the last um, show how um, time heals wounds and how things fade and fall away because of time. Which is just a construct. But yeah. Alright, Shaken. Number one time. Big Lebowski is just completely hilarious. And it's, and yeah, it, it's, a cult, it's a cult movie for a reason because it, it, it can be quoted in so many contexts and can just be re-laughed re at so many times and it's it's audacious. It's original. I like it. I'm, I'm just uh, going to go find the cash machine. <laughs> Marvelous woman. We're all very fond of her. All right. My number one, uh, you know, I've brought up this movie on a recent list, too. Uh, it's No Country for Old Men. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's No Country for Old Men. You know, I, I don't think they've, in terms of just pure filmmaking... I think this movie is easily easily wins just on terms of pure filmmaking. The way that it uses sound, it doesn't have any music in it, pretty much. Hey it's man, I love No Country for Old Men. I'm just farting in your direction because of your blowhardism of talking about it so much. It's my pick. I have to explain it. That's what we're doing, right? No, no, it's it's a masterpiece of sound and absence of sound. One of the most suspenseful movies I've seen. Just that scene. Remember. Late, like the second hotel, uh, sorry, the second hotel that Brolin's character goes to, and he ends up getting into this pickup truck, and the driver immediately gets shot. And then you just get this shot of him ducked down, and all you can see is the windshield, and bullet after bullet just thwacks into this thing like a relentless hammer of God. And that's why I, I see a parallel with a serious man, because it's just a universe that wants to kill you, and trying to understand that. So, yeah, it's. It's brilliant. It's great. My number one is Big Lebowski. That's a really good movie. Damn Skippy. And I drank for the first time while watching that movie. It was fun. Schoolgirls, I believe we made. We looked up the recipe on AOL. <laughs> I've never laughed so hard in my life. I remember that. Brady and I have known each other for a long time. They did not know me when I saw The Big Lebowski when it came out, but I also saw it when it came out. Uh, I didn't see it when it came out. This was, I think, just on TV. Yeah, no, I, I didn't catch it in theaters. No, I think I think we saw it when it was, like, on, because it was on HBO, and we there was, like, a free trial of HBO going around. Well, uh, I think that's the end of our Rank It, bitch, for the week. Rank It! Bitch! Hi, everybody. We're back to this episode of Carnivorous Couch where Brady and Jake and have purposes, and I don't. I just don't. What's your purpose? Well, I mean, it was to kill the dude who killed that guy's father, but no, I don't. It's That was in 1960, and it's just 
redundant now because he's dead. That was so many years ago. Yeah. Back when we were just wee lads. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mentioned the Americanization. You mentioned the cake. Um, that's one, two. I mentioned the, the guy getting run over by the car, but that wasn't really one of the scenes I wanted to talk about. Somebody else already mentioned the playing ghosts. So, uh, we, we did the seventh floor, uh, scene, the showdown. Yeah, it wasn't ride. one of mine. Um, how about starving that guy? Get him to talk. Uh, yeah. The method of get the, the, the method of exposing the graft was getting, uh, Getting somebody to give them proof of, of, of where he put his uh, portion of the graft by starving him inside a munitions plant yeah. for days on end. And then also, I wanted to mention how this uh, corrupt, um, you know, corporation structure taking grafts off government money kind of reminds me of uh, our government and our <laughs> the way we do things now, still, many, many years later. I wonder if Japan still has this problem. Uh, business government uh, being in bed and government being in bed with each other and corruption are still part of Japan. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And then handing money over yeah, and blah blah kickbacks. blah. Kickbacks. Yeah, always with the kickbacks. Yeah, Marketing cer- fucks. Certainly not a dated political problem. The uh, trusts uh, are so run are so run on a model of paternalism, and they do have. Uh, Weak, oh yeah, we should mention that the chick was um, um lame because she fell off her brother's motorcycle. Yes, that was and related, so there related was, midway through the movie. So there was a hell yeah. of a yeah, and there, so there was a hell of a dowry dowry, right? Sorry, you mentioned the patriarchal values, and I went, oh yeah, yeah dowry. There wasn't. Was there literally a dowry, or was was a dowry that he got to work for them? Well, they made some sort of yeah. comment that was like um. Yeah. Like a man's, uh, a man's happy with his wife. Or like a uh, wife puts a smile on a man's face once he's got the dowry in hand, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't a dowry more, more uh, opportunity to rise in the corporate structure than actual money in this case? I yeah, mean, I, I think it, probably there was a, a monetary dowry as well, just because it's traditional. She had a bum leg. They had to pay him more. Isn't that how dowries work? Like. The less desirable your wife is, the more money you have to get for your daughter is, the more money you have you to get. You know, I don't know the incentives. Answer to that. People respond to incentives, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that there's a universal answer to that question. No, uh, I just thought that's how dowries work. When I hear the word dowry, that's what I think. If your daughter's ugga, then you got to pay more money to get her married off. There's probably a trend in that direction. I, I, I would tend to agree. Yeah. Too bad. People yeah. shouldn't have to pay me to... Maybe they should pay me. I'll I'll talk about this later. Okay, so what whether what whether it was literal that da- whether it was literal dowry or not, it was. Wait, what were we talking about? I don't know. I just remembered the mention of dowry. You were saying something about the uh, paternalistic society, and that's what brought it up in my brain. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the sabatsus and the the, the, the yeah. trusts. So. I thought we were talking about gammy legs. Nice leg, gams, leggy Brady. Gams. Nice gams, Brady. Thank you. Brady's wearing short shorts. Now I'm going to tell you, I don't work out at all. Surprising. I do, but I'm wearing pants. Nobody can see my muscular legs. 
Yeah. Wait, we did our uh, rank it bitch, right? Yeah. Oh, God. How could you forget? It was such a great one. Yeah, no. It's amazing. Amazing how easily I can forget everything. Okay, so forgetting the uh, the whole story is going to be forgotten by the world at the end. All right, because have a vague impression of uh, v- v- vague impression that these people were 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 kind of crooks, but they're not going to know exactly what happened. You know what? Tell, uh, say what happens to our protagonist at the end. We didn't mention that at all. Well, I did, but he then dies. He dies. But but how he dies? He gets killed. Oh yeah, he gets killed because they inject a bunch of alcohol into his veins and then crash him into a train or crash a train into him in a car that is owned by the guy whose identity he stole and registered to him. So therefore, uh, the guy whose identity he stole can't get his identity back because he theoretically did. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, so everybody thinks he's just a drunk driver. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Whereas he's an involuntary mainlining alcohol driver. Kind of different. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, th- I was saying there was cinematic precedent for uh, trying trying or succeeding to kill somebody by sending them drunk driving forcibly from uh, one of the Hitchcock movies, I, I think North by Northwest, right? Yeah, but that was made in like it was made the late 70s. No, it was made in the no, 50s. The 50s. North by Northwest? Yeah. No. In I did a report 50s? on Hitchcock in the fifth grade. I, I, I do know when it, when it was made in 50. Yeah. This was made in 60? 60. Yeah, 58, 59. It's just been done. Are you serious? Yeah, no, yeah. it's true. It's Why is that in my brain different? That's a legitimate question. Answer it. <laughs> why am I different? No, why is it in my brain at a different time? Oh. Yeah, 59, you're right. Yeah. guess I just got thrown off because this one's black and white. Oh, yeah. Well... That that does throw one off. It's a natural tendency to assume. Well, then when was? I'm stupid. No, no. All right. So uh, should we talk about next week's film? Yeah. All right. What do you want to do next week, Brady? You know me, man. I'm gonna propose my movie until I I get to see it. What movie? Before Sunrise. Okay, we can watch Before Sunrise. No, no. But go go around. I mean, that's just Uh, the one I'm proposing. That's good. No. Done. The one from the nineties, man. Uh yeah, Linklater. Linklater. Uh, they came out with, with the third Dreyfus one. And, uh, no, not Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. No, no, not Richard Dreyfus. It's uh, Link Richard Linklater directed it, and it's Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. And they've made three of them, and the third one came out this year, and it's they're all really really good. And if there weren't so many good movies this year, it would get nominated for Best Picture, but it won't. What are these great movies that I need to see? Basically, they are about... Well, here, I'll just say what the first movie, Before Sunrise, is about. No, I know what the Before Sunrise is about. What are the great movies that, that I have to see from this year? Oh, well, okay. Oh, all right. Good question. So I saw one recently that it was amazing called Stories We Tell. It's this uh, Canadian woman who's pr- pretty young, actually. I think probably in her 30s. And she's made a few features already. One was uh, 2007's Away From Her, which was about Alzheimer's, a woman with Alzheimer's played by Julie Christie. But she basically made a documentary just about her family and kind of about her how her mom had this 
you know, secret relationship, but sort of this like really personal, really emotional look into how even in something as simple as closely knit as a family, there can be a bunch of different versions of what actually happened and kind of this look into narrative and also a tribute to her mom. So that's amazing. Uh, Gravity is amazing. That's my number one of the year so far. Uh, Before Midnight, you know, the uh, third in this Before series is amazing. Uh, Francis Ha, which is kind of this Woody Allen-esque movie by the writer Noah Baumbach. And he co-wrote it with uh, Greta Gerwig, an up-and-coming actress. Oh, and I like I like Noah Baumbach. Francis Ha is probably his best movie ever. You yeah. really should see it. Uh, it's giving Squid and the Whale a, a run for its money. Uh, All is Lost with Robert Redford is excellently done, and it's a second time. It's a second. Is that feature. out already? Yeah, yeah. Tess and I saw it with my mom. Uh, I didn't know that was out already. Yeah, it's really good. I just good. saw the preview for it when I saw Gravity this week. Yeah, it's gripping movies. I saw Gravity and I saw Ender's Game. I kind of yeah, saw some movies this year. I've doubled the amount of movies I've seen this year now since we started doing this. Nice. Uh, you know, Fruitvale Station. Uh. Fruitvale Station is really good. <laughs> Sorry, I burped. Bit of Oakland history there. It was weird hearing my burp in my headphones. <laughs> I haven't seen Fruitvale Station. It's good. It's good. It's not playing anymore, is it? Uh, probably not. Yeah. But I mean, but particularly those first four movies are like absolute standout. Great movies. Did you mention Gravity? I did. It's my number one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to watch Apollo 13 again and then watch Gravity again. Cool. And then decide what I think about Gravity. I'm starting to have some weird sort of trickly inklies about it. Well, I think part of it might have been the writing. Yeah, but see, it was amazingly shot and it was wonderful. But I know the script gets always mentioned as the weakest part, but I like to think of Gravity because, like, part of it is that it's a Mexican director, Alfonso Cuarón, but it has an element to it that I like about. Just like a lot of the Spanish short stories, like a Borges kind of thing. Like, I don't think it's super important. And little too. What? Oh, sorry. We had a, had a discussion about Borges and uh, the cartoon, Disney cartoon from Make Music Mine, I think it is. Um, oh, the whale who the, wanted to sing at the Met? No, not that one. The little toot. Oh, that's the tugboat? Yeah. Yeah. And then you said the wa- the scene where the waves come at the. We all like Borges, right? Is very yeah. Borges like, but you said that in seventh grade, and we had a discussion about Little Toot and Borges. And uh, yeah, but, but when I talked about Borges, it was actually in reference to the whale who wanted to sing at the Met. Oh, I thought it was about the what whale. What story is that? Oh, nothing. It, it it was more just that like there's a there's a bit of a tease to the ending where basically <laughs> we're so <laughs> off topic. I'm supposed to be talking about gravity. I have successfully man. derailed us. <laughs> And how? I am awesome. Um, <laughs> I derailed us from our, no, our no, tangent. I, we were supposed to decide that we we're doing before sunrise. Before next, sunrise, yeah. Next week, and that we did, and now the show's over. But we're talking about other things. Look at that. We're talking about other things. Bam! You got to fill the time. No, no. I. It struck me when I was a kid when I finally started to read Borges. Um, that just that the fact there's this tease ending. The entire story we see possibly doesn't happen. Because it's about, you know, 
or what had occurred to me as a kid was that the this captain is going to shoot a whale, and then all of a sudden he hears him singing, and the crew stops him. This whale goes on to fame as an opera singer, and then all of a sudden we cut back, and the whale does get shot and dies, and goes to heaven as a singing whale. But but that kind of uh, yanking out of the rug. Uh, this this kind of alternate reality that it creates uh, reminded me of some of the Borges stories that I'd read. I see. Anyway, not not a super strong nexus, but at the time, it struck me that way. So we good? We're good. Um, but hey, no, Gravity, don't get bogged down in the technicalities because the script, it's just supposed to We're provide enough backbone to make this an awesomely shot, amazingly, you know, well put together movie about the struggle to survive. It was amazingly well put together, and I think that's what CG stuff will look like in ten years when they're all perfect, as opposed to most of our CG shit just being horrible. Um, right. Like to me, but, it's a uh, short story. That's... I I'm just not there. Like I haven't accepted it yet. It was it was. I I feel like it's cheating. Well, how so? I don't know. They just made it seem so seamless and perfect and like it was all in one take, but it wasn't. I know it wasn't. Dude, Emmanuel Lobeski is the best cinematographer possibly to ever work. Right, but that doesn't have anything to do with what I was saying. Oh, but we're talking about shot composition. I mean, I was talking about the long takes that weren't long takes, but they made them seem so perfectly like long takes. Here's what I do know. And I I just feel like it's cheating. I know know that's an... uh, an, um, Unapt, uh, a uh, uh, bad feeling to have. I haven't, I haven't mourned the death of um, limitation yet. Yeah, what what's cool is they invented new technologies. Like the director invented new technologies in order to just make this thing work the way it does. Like what? Uh, I'm not super clear. I mean, I. Yeah, I haven't read up on how they did the shots yet. That's why I'm not willing to. But they had to completely necessarily you know, make a point and stand by it. Cinematography technologies, just to make these shots work. Well, I'm just not quite ready to make a point and stand by it because I, I'm gonna have to watch Apollo 13 again, which I think it's the other really good space movie from and the yeah, past Apollo 20 years. Apollo 13's a really good space movie, and um, probably Ron Howard's best easily, I'd say. Oh yeah, and then. Um, yeah. It just feels like cheating. I have to see how they did it. Anyway, yeah. A lot of good movies this year, which is cool, because last year had a bunch of good movies, too. And now it's like, oh, could we actually be in line for a streak where we have a bunch of good good years back-to-back? That would be nice. Maybe that's why I stopped watching movies. Because we had a bunch of bad years back-to-back, didn't we? Well, no, no. I mean, we've... Like 2011 was lame, kind of. What about 2010? 2010 had Social Network, which I lo- 2010 had some good stuff. You know, it had True Grit. Uh, oh, 2010. It wasn't was bad. Yeah, just yeah. We had the King's Speech win. That was disappointing. I didn't see that movie. And uh, Serious Man, that was 2010, right? Uh, oh, no, that was 2009. Nine, Nine? yeah. 2009 oh. was really good, I think. Uh, 2008 was kind of lame. 2007, though, is the best year, like, and we're talking about quantity, the best year ever in a long time. I'm not qualified to make a statement like that. I've only been alive for 30 years. I know. 
what was the best ever one? Oh, well, t- 2007 had an amazing stable of just, like, it probably had, like, 30, like, really, really good movies. And I remember it, There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men were movies made in that year. Oh, Gran Torino as well. Um, Gran Torino might have been the year afterwards. I don't know if Gran Torino was that year, but w- what you had was, yeah, those two. You had Once. You had The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Zodiac, Ratatouille, uh, Michael Clayton, which is a movie I like a lot. Uh, Persepolis, which is an oh, amazing yeah. animated. Yeah, no, it just had like it was deep. It was really deep. Uh, the, I love the remake of Three Ten to Yuma. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, no. I like that. Yeah, no, really deep stable, like unbelievably deep. That was Steve. He's from the other room. He could just kind of stuck his head in for a second and decided to interject a comment. Anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna do before sunrise next week, eh? That's correct. I think you're we're done. You're gonna swoon. You're gonna swoon. Well, I didn't. I never said I wouldn't watch it. I've always wanted to watch it. I just never. I know. I know. I think I tried to watch it and fell asleep or something. <sighs> hey, you did that with high and low. I know. <laughs> you're not infallible. In fact, you spill a beer every week. I bet you're gonna knock over that bottle before you get up. Only on purpose, Rob. Can never scout Shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours When we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film About which we then speak Can never scout With Brady and Rob <laughs>